Hello, welcome to Remember When. I'm Carl Schulteis of the King of Prussia Historical Society and your host for this television series. UMGA-TV and the Historical Society are continuing this series as an oral history project of life and community in Upper Marion Township. In our own words, we want the people who live the history of Upper Marion Township to tell us about that history. This edition features Art Scott. Art tells us about growing up in the Rebel Hill section of Upper Marion, his career as a teacher, and his involvement in community activities. Let's sit back and listen to Art remember when. Art, thanks for coming in today and uh, giving us a little bit about uh, what you remember about Upper Marion and King of Prussia. Glad to be here. I understand you were born locally here. Tell us, uh, where were you born? Well, I was born in Philadelphia uh, in 1933. Uh, my family moved up to Marion Township in 1934. I live in Garrett Hill for two years. Well, Garrett Hill is in Rosemont area. Garrett Hill is mm. Rosemont. I actually started a kindergarten there. Oh, did you? And I'm a kindergarten dropout, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> my brother had to go to kindergarten, so I went with him, my older brother. I see. And everything he did, I did. Uh -huh. So I went to kindergarten and didn't like it, dropped out. My family moved here in 34. Okay, and what area did you move into? The Rebel Hill area. It was called West Country Hagen back in those days, and it still is. Okay. We don't have a post office, so we send our mail through Kanchi. I see. Um, tell me a little about your family, your mom, your dad. Uh, Dad's a, was a hard-working guy. He uh, only went to fourth grade, had to quit uh, school to support his family, and he was one of the youngest of about 11 kids. But he was one of the most ambitious young guys, and they loved him. And Dad came to Pennsylvania about 19, oh, I guess around 1921, from South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And he and Mother married, had eight kids, six boys, two girls. He uh, was a private worker for many years, private families. And Dad uh, worked until about 19, must have been 40, he went to work at Sunship in Chester. And a lot of discrimination back in those days. And uh, FDR was the president, and he couldn't get a good job in Sunship. And FDR warned him that anyone discriminated against any of the workers would be drafted. So that scared a lot of the guys and gave him a good job in Sunship. He started his own business in 1948. What was that? Catering. And Alexander Scott and Sons became a good business. Dad would gross an area around 85 or so a year, which was really a lot of money for a fourth grader. Right. And he did quite well. Well, 19, uh, in the 1940s, what year? What year he started in 48, but 48. Uh, he made most of his money back in the early 60s. Right. But uh, mother was a tremendous help. She was a retired uh, nurse. She was an RN. She worked in Bryn Mawr and she worked in Norristown. And she, went, she quit to go into catering business with dad. But she was a big help. And uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your home life at that time. Well, we had a farm, like most people up in Marion back in those days. And we had a small farm. They only had one cow and horses, pigs. Uh, our neighbors had the pigs and a lot of chickens. We would milk the cows before we went to school and after school. We didn't have much of a, a, a house, so to speak. Dad built the house, and it was a very humble setting, to say the least. But we, it was love, a lot of love, a lot of hard work, and we, we got along quite well, the brothers. Right, where did you fit in the line of brothers? Next to the oldest, I'm the second oldest, mm -hmm. and we were the role models for the younger brothers. And we would go out and play ball in the field. With, we wouldn't have any, any equipment. Mm -hmm. But we would like make up uh, dirt balls and all kinds of stuff to play football and baseball with. But if we played, uh, we played, I guess, every day, we got a chance. And I knew that if you could survive your brother, you could play with anybody. I see. <laughs> <laughs> so we all became very outstanding athletes in high school. Yeah. Well, we went to Upper Marion. <laughs> uh, I came to first grade in Upper Marion. And it was an experience because um, being very gullible as a young kid, the bus driver, I never forget, he made us sit in the back of the bus. And I never felt anything. My parents never talked about discrimination or anything like that, so he said it was the best seat. So now I say, I want the best seat. And one of the white women saw us in this bus, I guess two or three weeks in the back of the bus. 
She came to the bus stop one day and she asked, why are they sitting back there? And he was so embarrassed. But uh, she raised Cain and it never happened again. Well, where'd you go? What uh, elementary school did you go to? Upper Marion had uh, the high school was made of one through 12, except for six. So right here on Gulf Road was the high school and elementary school combined. Oh, was it? And uh, we went to Upper Marion Elementary School there on Gulf Road for until fifth grade. And there was a tradition, I guess, of uh, Mrs. Groff. Everybody failed in first grade. I don't know why that was, but we all failed in first grade. And from there on, we usually graduated. Nobody ever failed after that. Although I had one brother, he failed in third grade because uh, he wouldn't clean up after one of the girls had an accident. And the teacher failing. But Upper Marion was kind of tough back in those days. Do you remember any of your teachers? Oh, yeah. I remember all of them. Okay. Well, tell me about some of them. Uh, first grade was Mrs. Groff, and she was a very stern woman. And she had been there, I guess, maybe since the school started, I guess. She never seemed unkind, but uh, she had a problem with the people of color. Never passed anyone of color in her grade the first time. Uh, Miss Cotton was second grade. What year, what year was Miss Croft? What, the, uh, 1930? Oh, God, I guess like 1938. Like yeah, about 38. Yeah. And Cotton, second grade teacher. Mm -hmm. And ironically, I can't remember the names of anyone after Miss Cotton, but we've had, you know, so many. Mm -hmm. But um, those two stick out the most of my first teachers. And she was in second grade. Yeah. Anything special happened in those those first five years that you can remember? Um, I guess the only thing I can remember, um, we used to have a lot of um, activities, like gym classes, and I always liked gym. And I always wanted to see how fast I could get to be 100 pounds. Sweden had an elementary school, and I think Port Kennedy had a school at that time, elementary schools. Mm -hmm. So we had two elementary schools and one high school. And you got bus to Sweden too. So we got bus to Sweden, and I, I guess that's the first time I ever learned that I wasn't such a big shot. I was one of these kind of guys that had to have my own way. Mm -hmm. And this principal, and I'm glad it happened because back in today's time, he couldn't have done it. He smashed my nose. <laughs> Blood <laughs> was coming all out, and because I wouldn't stay in line, and I never get him. Bixler was his name, and I, what a lesson that was for me to learn that. You just had to listen to orders. And I said, today, this same guy could have lost his job. That's right. Mm -hmm. And if I had told my parents what had happened, I'd get killed at home. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it worked out good. I learned the discipline from that. And, um, okay, then uh, you came back to uh, the high school area. Uh, Seventh grade, okay. we're back here at uh, Golf Road. And uh, <clears throat> I played football in seventh grade. And the first time I ever played any organized sport. Right. And I was forced enough to make a first team in seventh grade. And they started off at center. I didn't want to play center, but I wanted to play back so I could make some limelight. But uh, I think Norman Robb was our coach at that time. And I never forget the first game. I scored a touchdown playing center, <laughs> recovered a fumble in the end zone. <laughs> and I was so excited. And we won the game. And I guess the biggest thrill came when basketball season started because I had never played basketball either. And I was the high scorer the first game in basketball. And that was an exciting thing for me. But it was a lot of fun. Well, you started out uh, right at the top almost. <laughs> yeah, I was a surprise. As a matter of fact, the, the thing that Marcus, I hate today to think about, I played varsity ball in ninth grade. They moved me from junior high school right. to high school. And I often wanted to play that ninth grade year because when I was seventh grade, the ninth graders were big shots. They ran over people. And I wanted that chance to run over <laughs> little kids. <laughs> I never did. Well, um, uh, what were some of the teams you played back then? Do you remember? Well, we had Bridgeport, big rival, Conshohocken, Spring City, Downingtown, uh, Conestoga called T.E. then, 
they were calling Trudeau East Town. That's about it. And what kind of seasons do you have? Bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we were so small, uh, we rarely won any games. Mm -hmm. uh, in junior high, we might win two games a year. Senior high, maybe three. Max. When you're saying you're so small, how big was how big was the school at that time? Well, we had about we had less than seventy five males in the high school, and a football team might consist of anywhere from thirteen to twenty two. We couldn't even have a full scrimmage, so uh, we were really at a disadvantage with as far as competing as the high schools. Mm -hmm. We did quite well. I mean, one year we had thirteen players, and we had like a eight and two record. Well. And that was really outstanding for us. <laughs> yeah, that was a great record. Yeah, big school we beat. And we come on the field and they'd have football players lying around the field. And we come out like a little huddle. It was embarrassing. But I can imagine how they must have felt we beat them. Yeah. And what were your colors at that time? Blue and gold. Blue and gold. Same yeah, we were the old uh, Spartans. Yeah, it was called the Spartan team. Yeah, the Spartans. Had those crazy, uh, like I call them Red Grange type helmets. Right. Oh, God. Somebody hit you, your belt, your head rings for about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and the knee pads would come, all your thigh pads would come on the side of your leg. Oh, you wonder how we ever made it. Up <laughs> in was a fun school. Um, we, we all knew each other. Everybody, uh, matter of fact, we knew our parents. It was so small. Uh, we had the Blue and Gold Day, big thing back in when I was coming along. Mm -hmm. We had May Queen, May King. And I was May King one year. It's embarrassing. <laughs> um, May King was, was stopped, though. I'll never forget, we had a uh, couple coming from the South, and their daughter was the May Queen. And the, May, and the King and Queen always had to embrace, you know, and they didn't take too kindly yeah. to that. So that stopped the May King May and Queen thing. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a guy named Tom Campion as our head coach. He was a tremendous guy. And... He used to give, uh, I guess, the best uh, lectures before football games. I think. We would go out and just fight for him to win the games. And he was so dedicated, it cost him his marriage. His wife and he split up because he spent too much time with the kids. But he was an unusual guy. Just devoted to the uh, to, to yeah, students. Yeah, he, he'd cut hair, you name it. And I guess I was so tickled the first time he cut my hair. He wasn't used to cutting black hair. It just um, it's not the same. So he was big in patches all on my head. <laughs> but that's where we were, very close. Yeah, good time. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, after, uh, after high school, uh, what did you do then? Well, I uh, was approached by Penn State and Temple for secondary education. And I didn't have any money for the scholarships that they offered me. They didn't offer me enough money, and so... One of my friends knew me from Baltimore and said, come down to Morgan State. Well, I knew Morgan had a tremendous track team, but I never heard of football. And I had never heard of a black league, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. at that time. And I went down to meet this coach and this little tiny guy, about 160 pounds, soaking wet. He met me and says, are you Archie Scott? I said, yes, I am. He says, son, you're too small for this league down here. Well, I was frustrated. Just devastated, had no money, and I needed a scholarship to get in school, and I didn't want to be a burden to my father. He really couldn't afford it. He says, uh, if you make my team, I'll give you a full scholarship. And I didn't even know they didn't give full scholarship at that time, but he felt it'd be a nice way to get out of this thing. <laughs> and I went home and told Dad, I said, Dad, I'm, I got a scholarship. He said, how do you know? He said, so if I make the team, I had no doubt I would make the team. As luck would have it, and as I was blessed, I made the team and got a full scholarship and got recognition from New York from the Eagles, which turned out to be a disaster. Well, let's go back and talk a little bit about Morgan State, what you did there. And uh, well, we um, had it was a legend of good teams down there. Years they had good powerhouses, right. and we weren't one of the better teams. We won, I think, my first year seven games, which is bad for Morgan, seven out of eleven. And I uh, played offensive uh, fullback, defensive uh, linebacker, and I was a kicker. 
So I, I was able to start as a freshman at Morgan. I was most valuable player at uh, the homecoming game my freshman year. And that was quite an honor. Yes, sir. And, and I shared this honor with um, Roosevelt Brown. And Roosevelt Brown became one of the Yankees' uh, all-pros right. about maybe four years later. So I had a good year, good success at Morgan. For a guy that was too small. <laughs> <laughs> what teams did you play? The, I'm not familiar with the, with, with the league that you We played uh, Howard, Lincoln, North Carolina A&T, Union, uh, Delaware, Central State. Well, um, <clears throat> some of those some of those are black schools, right? All of them. All of them. Yeah. Delaware. Delaware the, yeah. Back in those days, Delaware State was all black. Mm -hmm. um, as a matter of fact, uh, West Virginia we played, and they were the only school that had whites at all in their school mm -hmm. at that time. Matter of fact, they had two white football players on their team. Mm -hmm. Now I think all of them have at least at least two whites. Did you have any problems uh, discrimination-wise otherwise? Oh, yeah. God. What an education it was going down there. Being naive and from the north, I never forget one day I went down to at the football practice and I was hungry, couldn't wait for dinner time. Went up to a local shopping center and ordered a hamburger and milkshake. And uh, I sat down and they brought it to me in a bag. I said, oh, no, I'm eating here. We don't serve niggers here. Oh, I was crushed. I Just so. devastated. Yeah, I guess so. And um, it wasn't too good a scene because I ordered like 10 hamburgers and milkshakes and told them I would take them back to the dormitory for the guys. And it wasn't too good because I told her to shove it. Just left it there. Yeah. But um, that was my introduction to the South. How about uh, here in Upper Marion? Upper Marion didn't have too bad a time. Um, personally, you know, my players accepted me and my teammates. Mm -hmm. Now, playing at other schools, it was a different story. They would bite me. And it was kind of bad. We went to Delaware, and they wouldn't feed me. Played Wilmington one year. And we always had, like, a dinner before mm -hmm. the football sure. games. And they weren't going to serve me. And I said, boy, yeah, this is crazy. And the first part of the game started, they were biting me. So I was lucky that game because I scored two early touchdowns and the coach pulled me out and we won 13 nothing. But that was an experience away from home. Spring City was tough too. Was it? Oh, man. But other than Spring City and I guess Bridgeport, um, was another rugged school, but not so much a race. They they were just rough anyway. And that was just a war between the two upper school, Upper Marion and Bridgeport. But Spring City and, and Delaware were the toughest schools. In the Navy. In the Navy. Of all things. You know, no special service. Sea duty for 21 months. months. Oh. No conditioning. But the captain was nice. He let me out of the service uh, three months early when I told him I wanted to play pro football. Well. And... That's when Regis Neal gave me the bad news. Uh -huh. So, well, what years were these when you were in the in the Navy? Fifty-five, fifty-seven, fifty-five. 57. 55. Yeah. Got drafted on Pearl Harbor Day, December the seventh, nineteen fifty-five. Yeah, and you're continuing to, to have the business today? No, I have retired in '93, officially. Mm -hmm. Now I cater. Uh, when I say cater, I do bartending now for my old customers. And, mm -hmm. That keeps me busy. Okay. Well, what about the business? Itself? Did you sell the business? No, just... business, I just let go. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> didn't sell it. Ouch. And, yeah. <laughs> we didn't make any money off of it, and I decided to just let it go. Boom. Yeah. No one else wanted to take it. Yeah. And I didn't, to go through the selling, a lot of paperwork, and all that kind of, I didn't want to go through all that. I wouldn't have got that much for it anyway. Yeah. The... Um... So what are you doing now in terms of? Uh... Well, I'll keep myself busy now. And, uh, I do volunteer work at Bryn Mawr Hospital, mm -hmm. Tuesdays. And then what do you do there? I'm, I work in transport. Uh -huh. uh, I've, been, I've been there now six years. 
Five years I worked as a um, receiving the patient's area. Um, we uh, tried to accommodate people that came to the hospital and mm -hmm. set them up for various procedures and things. Right. Well, that job was terminated and they moved into transport. <laughs> Never stop. That's the busiest job in the hospital. <laughs> so I asked a lady, you know, when my job was terminated, what else do you want me to do? She said, well, we want to go to transport. I didn't know anything about transport. She said, no one wants to do that. I said, why? She said, I don't know. Well, she knew what she wanted to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> or you wouldn't do it. <laughs> oh. But I, I enjoy it. I, we, we take people to different procedures and all over the hospital, and wheeling beds and mm -hmm. discharging people. But it's good. Yeah. And that's just once a week, so it's not that bad. I'm a supervisor at the Boathouse, uh, Cecily Club, and they have parties down there. And the women, like 72 women own the place. And uh, when they have parties, some of the people, the clientele is, they wreck the place. So that's my job to keep the place looking like it's <laughs> one place. And I chaperone the caterers, make sure they leave the place half decent. Mm -hmm. But that's only like eight, nine days a month mm -hmm. I'm down there. And that keeps me busy. And I play golf whenever I can. But that's the main thing. I, I have a senior citizen who I am his power attorney, and that keeps me more than busy. He's 95, and I go to see him as many times as I can a week. Mm -hmm. uh, well, other than working on the farm, I, I spent my time working for construction people. And I ran into a guy named Bobby Newman. He was a big contractor. He built driveways. And he built a lot of houses. In order to get his stones, we had to go to Expressway. And we would go to the school Expressway and with a 20-pound sledgehammer. And I'd be out there in that hot sun breaking these stones up that they were making, building this Expressway. And you would toss them into these dump trucks, like 70, 80-pound rocks you'd throw in a truck you know, over your head. Boy, what a day's work. And I, I never knew then how tough some guys were. Some men were so strong they would take those rocks and throw them like they were just little toys. <laughs> and that's where I got most of my strength from. I guess I would build up quickly. <laughs> oh yeah, a lot <laughs> of people condition. ask me, if I, you know, you lift weights? No, I didn't mm -hmm. lift weights, I worked. But that's the way I got it. You were lifting weights all right though. Oh. <laughs> Big weights. <laughs> Actually, that was the first time I ever had any beer. Never forget it. I was uh, 19 and we're out in that expressway working in the hot sun and the guy comes along with he had no more sodas. All he had was beer. I bought one of those cans of beer and I never tasted anything like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was an experience. Yeah. So you were at Morgan State and you, I understand you went into teaching. Yeah, I, I um, went into, I taught at Cheney. Um, I graduated from Cheney. After I dropped out of Morgan to play football and uh, went back and finished at Cheney. And um, Went to Westchester to do my student teaching, mm -hmm. Henderson High School. Mm -hmm. And the head of the department took a liking to me, and I stayed there for 27 years teaching U.S. history. And I became the golf coach for eight years, something I never learned to play, but I coached it. <laughs> and I had a lot of fun with the yeah. kids. Uh, Westchester was a very unusual place because uh, that was the first place I've ever encountered discrimination as a young kid. Uh, we were coming up from the south one year, and I stopped into um, Westchester for a hot dog and something to eat, and they don't serve here, I was told. Well, I was just devastated. 20 miles from home, I can't eat. And I had driven like six hours from Virginia to come up here. So when I was uh, given an opportunity to teach there, I said, oh, my God, I could go back to Westchester. But what a difference. What a difference that place is today. Yeah. And... I guess it saddens me because uh, when I was at Westchester, most of the discrimination that I observed was from blacks. They had this hand-me-down, you know, grandfather-type discrimination, how their aunts were treated and how their uncles were treated. Mm -hmm. And they just instilled that hatred into those kids. That disturbed me, to think that this kind of reverse-type thing would happen. But um, I never had any trouble with the whites. You taught at Westchester for, for 27 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, where were you living at that time? King of Prussia. 
Yeah. Right here in Golf Mills. Yeah. Commuted down there. Never left uh, Rebel Hill. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I built a house about uh, maybe 500 yards from where I lived. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. So um, you married? Yes. When was that? Married a young lady from Baltimore in 1958. Um, I met her in college. She was a freshman. I was a sophomore. And it's amazing. I never cared much about her because she was a little young girl at the time. And I was a big shot on the campus at that time. Sure. I figured I would protect her. We call the girls bunnies. I said, I'm going to make you my personal bunny and these guys will not touch you. So I shielded her for a while. And before I knew it, we were courting about a year later after I had dropped out of Morgan. And we married in 58, 47 years. We'll be married in the 26th of this month. And we have four children. Congratulations. Three, three girls and one boy. Mm-hmm. Oldest is 45 and youngest is 34. Yeah. Did they play any ball? Didn't have any athletes. No. no. And that was a blessing for me because I can imagine having athletes. I would have had nothing done because <laughs> I would have been seeing every game. And Although I had visions of having mm-hmm. some athletes, but... My son tried to track, and I had a daughter that played a little soccer, but uh, they weren't in the sports like we were. Mm-hmm. What did the, your wife was a homemaker? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, she's a homemaker. She's um, she's on the quiet side, and they've all taken after her, mm-hmm. so to speak, which is good. Yeah. And they got their looks and their mannerisms from their mother. Okay. I think it was the nineteen early sixties. The Bulletin put out an article, always a Scott. Enough American. They didn't think we graduated, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Every year for 15 years, I was a Scotland. And the younger ones uh, seemed to get better. And they always talk about, you know, the older fellows, but the younger ones came and made a big name for themselves. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, the two of the, the baby brothers went and played pro football and did quite well. And I think they're about the first that signed up American in pro football. Well, you had to uh, try out with the Eagles. Well, I thought I did. Mm-hmm. I went, they gave me a letter of intent mm-hmm. in 52. Um, then they passed this law that you couldn't play till your class graduated in 53. Well, I'm devastated. So the league was so tough. I said, I'm not going to stay here for two more years and get killed. I'm going to play pro football. And I saved a letter and all set to play pro football. And my class graduates. I get drafted into the service. Two more years go by. So I went up to Hershey. They practiced back in those days up in Hershey. Grigio Neal was a coach, and I took my letter, and he says, oh, we can't even look at you. We got so much talent. But see, years ago, they had this quota system. They had two blacks already, mm-hmm. and most pro teams would have two blacks, except I think New York and L.A. had four. But the Eagles, they were satisfied with their two. They told me he had too much talent, wouldn't look at me. They won two games. I was just wrecked. All my dream was gone. Mm-hmm. So I was out from 57 to 60. The American League came up. And Steve Sebo was the general manager of the New York Titans. And I met him through catering. And we were talking about football once in a while. And he says, um, I'll give you a tryout with my New York Titan team. Well, I said, when do you guys start? He said, the next month. Well, I hadn't ran in eight years, but I wasn't going to turn it down. And even in my bad condition, I said, I'm going to try it. And we went to the polo grounds. I'll never forget it. Emlyn Tunnell was there in the stands. He was a scout for New York at the time. He said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here for a tryout. It's a new Titan team. He says, you're crazy. He says, they're only going to pick... Three guys out of this 125 guys up here. And I hadn't been told that. So after three days of practice, we had a three-day tryout. My name was the first one called to go to the main camp. And I signed for 12-5 and went on to the main camp, the other two guys. And they kept me till the last cut. <sighs> Sent me home. So I never got a chance to play my dream. I got close, Uh but uh, it was a good experience, but um, no cigars. No cigars. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was really shocked. I learned from, um, I'm a member of the Player Association now, retired players. Right. Uh, anyone who signed at the time can qualify for retired players. And I go to um, cruises and things like that, retired right. player. And I was a celebrity one year on a cruise for nine days. But it's not like the real thing. But it was an experience. I have always been somewhat active. Um, back in 1948, we built a... Uh, community um, civic association. Mm -hmm. The neighbors built it. And they wanted their own facility, rather than meeting in different houses. That was a thing back in years ago. And we were the only one in the township that had a, their own building at the time. And my parents uh, became very active in it, presidents and all that kind of stuff. And I always stayed close to them. So when I became president some years later, and while I was teaching, like nine or 10 years I was president, not that I was so qualified, there was no one else that wanted the job. So we did that and became very active in community things. Mm -hmm. And I joined the um, Fair Housing Council back in the early 50s. Mm -hmm. And where did they meet? They met in homes, different mm -hmm. homes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Actually, it was a very quiet type thing because it was, they weren't a welcome group at the time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the members really couldn't be associated openly with the group. And I'll never forget, we had some tremendous people, um, a lot of white people. Mm -hmm. They were so supportive of blacks moving in mm -hmm. to the area. And I was stunned because I'm here all my life, never thinking it'd be a problem here. Mm -hmm. And my teachers and principals, they were leading this fight against fair housing. I'm shocked. People I thought were my friends. You know, mm -hmm. The ones that pat me on the back coming off the field and on the basketball court. Didn't want me living with them. And that was devastating to me to learn that maybe I was living with blinders on, you know, all these years. So we um, got about maybe five or six moving in. The whites would buy the house and they would sell to the blacks. And that's how they would be ostracized. They were hated for doing that. But they didn't care. So after fair housing caught on, I became involved in um, the police at the Citizens Advisory Board. Mm -hmm. I started that, I guess, maybe about six years ago. And that was a good experience. A lot of nice policemen. And, and I've always supported the police. Uh, when I was teaching, I would bring the police in from Westchester and at least once a month to see the kids. And there was this negative thing about policemen. They call them you know, pigs and dogs right. and all that kind of stuff. Well, that was, uh, that was the 60s. <laughs> yeah. And that's why, you know, I said, I'm going to get rid of this image, you guys, of a policeman. And the policeman came in, and the, what, a, what a difference it made to the kids to see the guys that they really were. And I felt good about that. Mm -hmm. And they still have that program going in Westchester. So I was very comfortable doing it here mm -hmm. with Upper Marion. And I resigned from that, and um, I was involved with the Martin Luther King Celebration Committee. And still work with them. I, yeah. I, a matter of fact, uh, I went down to Bethesda in Philadelphia, and they have a dinner down there for the um, occupants. Of, they all were homeless people at one time, and they've all been in house. We take them dinner, brunch, I should say, once a year. Mm -hmm. And I do most of the cooking, and a lot of good workers go down with me and give them a nice meal, read stories with them, and they sing with them. Some younger kids go down to help clean the place. It's a nice experience. Yeah, well, the, the, your cooking skills come from your catering business, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Catering uh, something that I was actually uh, born into. And I learned to cook, believe it or not, working in a private family. I worked at private family for six years when I went back to Cheney from Morgan to help me get through school. And I had worked for this millionaire, and he wanted all fancy stuff, and I had to learn all this stuff. And I would call Dad every day, how do you cook this? <laughs> <laughs> and I would cook this meal, and he would, oh, this is fabulous, you know. <laughs> so after cooking for him for six years and with Dad, I learned to do quite well with food. Uh -huh. So my father passed uh, in 76. Where did your father get his cooking skills? 
Just learned it. Yeah. Yeah. He, Dad was not on a book the, person. On the job training. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he didn't measure a thing. And how it came out so good, I'll never know. He'd, he'd make the nicest rolls. I never figured when Dad died, they were so used to his rolls. And I had watched him make these rolls many years, and I said, I can do that. I made rolls the first job. Dog biscuits were softer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never heard the end of it. So um, I learned it was my forte to make rolls. <laughs> You're not the pastry chef. <laughs> no, so the aunt said the, the rolls. I let his sister do the rolls after that. But I learned to cook, and people were, I learned so much through catering. I mean, meet so many different people. And one for catering, I wouldn't have had my tryout in New York. I met the guy through catering. Did you? Um, as a matter of fact, I built my house in 1960, and one of my catering customers donated four telephone poles because I was back in the woods, no electric, no water. I had to run a, a line of about 1,500 feet copper tubing mm -hmm. to the main. But this guy, that's why I got electric from him, from mm -hmm. catering this guy. A lot of nice people I met. Some weren't were so nice, but most were very nice. Very nice. A lot of work, good lifestyle, a lot of work. Yeah, that's, that can be difficult, I'm sure. Catering is one of the toughest things you can get into. Didn't pay very much back in those days, but we competed against uh, McAllister and Duffy, mm -hmm. Holland. Right. And Dad, being a uh, novice, so to speak, he couldn't demand the best prices. So we would just kind of make, we'd pick up the crumbs that the other guys couldn't get. Mm -hmm. And once they tasted our food, we started getting their customers. Right. But it was a good experience. We have to build on those things. So yeah, we good. had seven good. jobs a day for years. Busy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that'd be oh, killer. Just seven jobs much. a day. <laughs> well, weekends, not, not doing a week. Yeah. Well, how many people were involved in this uh, business? I would say we employed maybe 30 at the time. Mm -hmm. Nobody full-time. It was all part-time workers. Mm -hmm. And... He was very fortunate. He had six sons who didn't have to pay. <laughs> we got tips, you know. <laughs> he had uh, two sisters, beautiful people. They worked with him. They adored him. And um, they, that was a core. And they had a couple of uh, brother-in-laws who worked with him. But they, then we just kind of filled in the other people. But, he had some really committed workers. And when he left, uh, his sisters died shortly after that. And so I inherited almost a whole new staff mm -hmm. when I came on. But they were loyal, good workers. And I, I think I kept working mainly because my oldest daughter, she was such a charm. She stuck with the catering and, and worked with me. And she encouraged me to keep going. And because of that, we were able to add on to the house. We brought the business down to my place and swimming pool and all the good life. The physical appearance of Upper Marion, as you remember it. Oh, right? boy. Now, obviously, uh, when you said you had, uh, what, 75 kids? In the, we had 75 in the, males. 75 males. Yeah, about okay. 320 total population. Students, okay. Yeah. And that was for all the... All, all the high the, school, from 7th to 12th. That was the student body. That was it, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, obviously, there were more than 375 houses in Upper Oh, no. Matter of fact, in Rubble Hill, where I live now, there may have been five houses mm -hmm. there. Uh, the rest was all farm. Uh, one fellow did have horses. He, he plowed his uh, field up. Right. He had huge cornfields. And we would use these cornfields for hide-and-go-seek and knock half of it down before the season's over. Um, but Upper Marion was then was mainly a jungle. You know, we used to see uh, Tarzan movies. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't imagine uh, anything being more dense than Upper Marion at the time. We have a huge cemetery now, Calvary Cemetery. It was nothing but woods, it was weeds. I mean, weeds up to your shoulders. It would grow so high. Um, we had a uh, two policemen in the township at the time, four school buses, three schools, one high school, and 
I guess you couldn't really see very much except for the fact that the weeds were so high, you know, and, and trees. You, you go down 202, in a two-lane highway at that time. Mm -hmm. And you go right here from King of Prussia to Westchester. You wouldn't hardly see any houses. Uh, if you saw anything, it'd be mostly uh, woods. And farms really weren't that prevalent along 202 at the time, for some reason, but just because they wasn't developed enough. Of, mm -hmm. The jungle was so thick. Um, quarries, had two major quarries. One here in King of Prussia and one in, just as you get into uh, Berwyn on 202. What about the, the Mako places down there on Gulf Road and... Oh, they didn't exist. Yeah. Oh, no. No, there was anything. Mm -hmm. There was no... We had a um, Gino Marchetti play for the Colts and he had a fast food place on 202. That was the first. We really thought modern then. Yeah, that was called Gino's. Gino's, yeah. yeah. Years ago, and um, that was a, I think it was another place, but I can't think of the name of it. One of two places, and the township building sat on 202, and a uh, big old tall building sitting there, looking like a house, really. Yeah, that was, and, it was a union school. Yes, yes. But there was nothing around here except a farm. Now, a fellow named Walker had a, had a farm here. Yeah. What a nice guy he was. Yeah, he's been on our program. Oh, is that right? Oh, what a tremendous guy he was. He Howard was a, Walker. Yeah. I'll never forget him. Uh, one of the most charitable guys I've ever met. Anyone who needed anything. You had some food that you needed, he would give you the food. Wouldn't sell it to you. And when I heard that he had moved and got all that money for his place, I was happy. Never anyone more deserving to be rich than Walker. But I'll never forget him. Now it's a shopping center. Up Marion is mostly concrete now and parking lots. But, right. Well, what do you remember about the Schuylkill Expressway coming through? Well, I guess the biggest thing is the blasting. Um, they'd have dynamite going all day, trying to break those big rocks. Mm -hmm. And when I worked up during the daytime, breaking up those huge boulders, those stones, beautiful stones, by the way, and some of your best houses in the main line come out at Expressway. Uh, they finally got that thing dug in through uh, Upper Marion and separated Golf Mills. That's how Upper Marion, uh, West Chester, I mean West Kanji and Golf Mills actually separated then. Right. After that, I guess we were never really as close as we used to be. We could walk through the woods into Golf Mills proper. Now there's a big highway between right. us. But um, I can just remember the fact that there was so much work making that expressway workable because the, the uh, people were criticized today, but why didn't they widen it? You know, why didn't they make it wider? They can't imagine the trouble they had hewing out those rocks. <laughs> it was a tremendous job. Yeah, well, there's a big, there's a big cut there. Uh, oh. In, in the, there's Rebel Hill and then there's something called Union Hill. Is that the other, yes. the other, other yes. part of it? Yes, yes. And uh, that cut goes right between the two of them. Right? right, took the whole, how they moved all those stones out of there, I'll never know. They did. And then we got down to Maniaga, even worse. Those huge rocks down mm -hmm. there. But uh, they did it. It was outdated when they opened it. But <laughs> right. uh, I remember Turnpike, and that went, I guess it went on forever, it seemed. <laughs> and they finally got that thing done and it was nice looking. Um, they didn't have the barriers up in the center right. of it then. And they would go for 100 miles of woods to here to Harrisburg. Mm -hmm. Never see anything but woods. And now they've got all kinds of developments in right. between there and farms you see now. It's a big difference. Right. Do you remember anything about the King of Prussia Inn in that area there? Um, not much. Uh, the only thing I can remember about it was uh, if it's like an old landmark. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever you uh, invited somebody to your area, you'd always tell them look for the King of Prussia Inn. Yeah, right. It sat right on the highway there. Right. And I never forget when they tried to move that thing. That was a chilling experience for me, seeing that thing move fixture. So many years, you didn't want to see them disturb that building, but uh, they did. Yeah, it was a, 
That was a mammoth effort. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, King of Prussia was changing so much about that time anyway. And it was an experience seeing all the traffic that was coming into King of Prussia. And even the, the expressway put Kunshagen on the map because of the Kunshagen curve. Everybody right. knew about that from all That's around. Right. Yeah, well, they used to call it the Lee. Then Lee tire, clock. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All those. Yeah, those were the days. When Lee Tire had their big, uh, the plant there. Big. They employed a lot of people, though. Whoever didn't, people didn't work for Lee Tire, worked at uh, Allen Wood. They were the two largest uh, mm -hmm. employees at the time. And I worked at Allen Wood for a while, about six months. Mm -hmm. What'd you do there? Open hearth. Oh, that's pretty hot stuff. That heat. <laughs> I, I said, you know what, enough of this. I worked myself into the highest paying job over there. And the guys couldn't believe I was going to leave. I said, oh, yeah, I'm out of here. I can't do this forever. And my father-in-law worked 41 years in Bethlehem, in, in Baltimore, uh -huh. in the open hearth. Right. Don't know how he did it. Tough guy. Yeah. But six months is all I could take. And I left, and I was, I'm thankful that I did, because less than three years later, the place closed down. And all those guys hanging on those jobs were unemployed. The people that... Um you had played football or knew in, uh, when you were playing ball, like Tommy McDonald and those other individuals. Oh, they weren't even heard of then. Yeah. You know, Tommy was a young kid in high school when I was trying to play. Right. He came along um, when the Eagles were, I guess, in 1959. Mm -hmm. uh, Ted Dean came up from Radnor. He was playing for 1960. Um most of the guys that played then, I didn't know personally. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I knew Emlyn Tunnell because I was raised near him in Garrett Hill. And Emlyn Tunnell was an outstanding athlete in high school. But I never thought he would play pro football. I was just shocked because uh, he broke his neck in high school. And I was so afraid of him ever playing football again. He wouldn't have made all pro for about 14 years. Yes. He was just a heck of a guy. Yeah. But he never drove. No? No, he wouldn't drive a car. <laughs> He'd catch a cab from Garrett Hill to New York. <laughs> there was anything like it. Spend more money. Oh, I am. Never forget him. But uh, he had a brother, a tremendous uh, athlete, played basketball, Stu Adams. Mm -hmm. but he was a tremendous guy. Made all state basketball. And he was much better with some wine. Back in those days, he was an unusual guy to drink. Mm hmm. But Stu drank high school. And the drunker he was, boy, the more he could hit. <laughs> <laughs> just loosened him up. Huh? <laughs> I often wonder how Ellis Dwyer, he was their coach, and he was a disciplinarian. This guy was a heck of a good coach. Uh -huh. How he ever let Stu play for him, I don't know, but Radner was good. Because he was tremendous. Interesting. You had mentioned that a couple of your brothers played pro ball. Yeah, my baby. Uh, the youngest was Clarence and Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both made up a Marion's Hall of Fame, um, I guess because they played pro ball. I'm not sure why, but uh, they were good athletes here. Mm -hmm. um, Lewis played first. Lewis went to Denver and played there for two years with, uh, I can't think of the name, not a coach's name, Brett Rowe or something, I can't remember his name, but he took a liking to Lewis. And Lewis uh, became a very good golfer while he was playing football. Mm -hmm. Pro took a liking to him and played golf all off-season. He shot in the 70s the first year. And uh, quite a golfer. Clarence was uh, the scholar of the family. And he was going to go to Yale. But then again, money was an issue because his scholarship wasn't. So he went to Morgan and saw me play uh, football a couple of years and decided he would go to Morgan. So he went down there and he made All-State and played for New England Patriots for four years. Went to IBM and made good money with them for a while. And he hired a young lady who became his wife. She became a millionaire and he retired. Okay. <laughs> so right. he did quite well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does quite well. Listen, Palo Alto now. Uh -huh. Lewis, uh, after playing in, for Denver, went to Xerox and then from Xerox, his own business. He's in the. Um, Labeling business mm -hmm. does quite well yeah. out of Chicago. So they've done quite well, and I'm really proud of them. 
my oldest, we came in threes, three boys, a girl, three of my boys, another girl. Mm -hmm. And the oldest of the youngers, three, um, he may have been the best athlete in the family, uh, tremendous skills. And he was offered a position with the Oakland Raiders. Turned it down because he had fallen in love with one of his college sweethearts and got married. But he couldn't, couldn't mix football with his marriage. <laughs> We've been married three times now. And we we kidding about that. But <laughs> he was offered big money to play. Yeah. Wouldn't do it. So it could have been easily four of us that, find, that signed pro contracts. Mm -hmm. I guess four out of six, not too bad. That's, that's I guess the thing I like most about the fact that I can look back and see how far we've come as a family. You know, from that little uh, humble house that we had in Rebel Hill, right. uh, outhouse, no electric, no, no water for about two or three years. And now I go visit my brothers who live in million dollar homes and I just can't believe this has happened, the same family. But uh, we've been blessed. Yeah. You said you didn't have any water. Where'd you get your water at the spring? On we walked the, down to um, the Hanging Rock. Yeah. And just before you get to the Hanging Rock, there was like a little horse trough place there where all the horses would, and then they had a stream that fed into this little big trough and you'd take your water from that stream. Yeah, I can remember that. And yeah. Yeah, used to remember that during the summertime, sometimes the cars would be lined up there on both oh, yeah. sides of, yeah. of uh, the road. Well, there weren't that many cars when I was a kid. Yeah. We, went, we might count 10, 20 cars a day, mm -hmm. max. And um, There's probably 10,000 a day now. Oh, <laughs> but back in those days, we'd go down and get this water. And it wasn't so bad in the summertime. You know, there's a lot of hill to climb to get yeah. down there. But the wintertime, you got these buckets of water and it's wasting against your leg. Mm -hmm. You get home and your pants are just like starch. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh. And you know what? We learned that we didn't waste water. Yeah, I guess you were And even on. today, I don't shower unnecessarily. If I shower to get clean only, mm -hmm. not to soak in the water. <laughs> I don't waste the water even today. I see young kids take 20 minute showers, and, oh, well, but they should take some water up the hill. <laughs> A well, couple of trips up that hill. <laughs> I've often told my kids when I was teaching, everybody should have a taste of poverty. It would make a difference in our society if if everyone had to come up in a humble way. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't take so much for granted. So it's been a lesson to me to yeah. come up that way. I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I, I believe it. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming by today and talking well, to us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Glad I had an opportunity to come. I'm Carl Schulteis of the King of Prussia Historical Society and your host for this series of Upper Marion Township's oral history. Thanks for watching. Until next time and always, remember when.